And good morning once again here on the other side. Uh, current time is 9 a.m. on the nose on this Wednesday, the 16th of December. And welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. We are so glad that you are with us. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live here from the downtown KOPN studios on Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. If you happen to miss an episode, no worries. We have the backdated episodes uploaded to our website, kopn.org, kopn.org. Also, our Facebook profile with all of the relevant germane links to each program. And you can find us on Apple and Spotify podcasts as well. On today's program, we have a pre-recorded interview from one of our hosts, public health advocate Jeannie Chadwick, and she will be interviewing Lori Maybrier with uh, MU Healthcare on a very important topic, namely getting the vaccine as a first priority healthcare worker. So we're going to go ahead and get that interview rolling for you. Once again, glad you're with us here on your community radio station and do enjoy. Lori, thank you so much for joining us for Community Pulse on KOPN. Would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners and letting them know what you do here in our community? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Lori Maybrier. I am a nurse midwife with the University of Missouri. Um, I do full scope midwifery care, including primary care for women. And I also do prenatal and delivery postpartum care. And um, my background here, mostly in the community, I've been a lactation consultant. Um, so I think that's what I've functioned as in the community for quite some time, but I've been a midwife around here for about a year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. You know, this pandemic has been going on in Missouri for quite some time. Um, we often report Matthew Holloway's data, and we all know the little sticky notes that he has at the top that, you know, March the 7th was the first case that we had identified in the state of Missouri. And so we have now been doing this for months, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we're at a, a really exciting place in in this process and that we have a vaccine and the vaccine is here in Missouri today. Absolutely. And so we know that many of MU healthcare staff members are, are literally hours now away from getting the vaccine. So when we look at what's happening within the state, so the Tribune reported that Missouri received 51,675 doses of the Pfizer vaccine in the first shipment. And there we're expected to get an additional um, around 63,000 more next week of Pfizer. And then once full FDA clearance is given, we're gonna get just over 100,000 of the Moderna vaccine. So. Has MU Healthcare received that vaccine yet, um, Lori, to your knowledge? Yes, we have. Yeah, we've got our first round of vaccines scheduled to go out this week. Excellent. And, and do you know when they're going to start giving um, people the vaccine? And who who's the first people to get this vaccine in our community? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's really hard, right? So ideally, we would give the vaccine to every single person. That would be beautiful. Um, but when you have limited resources, we have to um, follow kind of a plan of implementation that touches on one of our high risk, risk groups first. Um, so where we're starting with is our frontline workers. Um, I'm really proud of MU. I'm really proud to be a part of MU Healthcare in this. And 
I'm really excited that this is happening already. I have to admit, I was surprised um, because I was expecting some delays with distribution and how we were gonna do it. And I like, I think so many people that have been paying attention to the news with this have been um, sort of nervous about the implementation and distribution component. It's quite an undertaking. Um, so I am just really impressed with the speed and proficiency uh, that we're using to get this out. So the first folks that are getting vaccinated are frontline workers um, in direct patient care. So our most vulnerable staff members. I am in the first group individuals being approved to get this vaccine because I work with a vulnerable population. Um, and since we can't vaccinate pregnant women right now without research that tells us that that's a great idea. Um, yet, um, following CDC guidelines at this moment in time, now I'm always safe with a footnote that things are changing rapidly. Um, but at this time, I'm vaccinating myself to protect my patients. And I think that's kind of the approach that we're going through with MU at this time. Because again, if we're watching this uh, pandemic sort of unfold, what we're seeing now, as you mentioned, since March, um, our staff is fatigued. We've been at this for a long time. And um, I am always impressed and blown away with the continued and ongoing response of the providers and the nurses. Um, but at this time, uh, we're starting with frontline workers uh, with direct patient care. So and the way they, um, I'm sorry, this may be what you're about to ask, but the way that they have implemented this, and this is what was so impressive to me as they sent out an email, um, it's not mandatory at this time, but strongly encouraged and um, really just a sign up genius sheet. So we pick our slots and there was, you know, bunch of slots and they're running clinics where they're just kind of going to shuffle us through in our slots that we've assigned. So we know that there's broad community spread. So it's really hard to identify, you know, who has COVID and who doesn't, you know, as people come into the hospital. So, you know, as a nurse midwife, you're obviously seeing pregnant women who come into the hospital. What are some other positions just for our listeners so that they can understand who, who are or what are those frontline workers um, that, that will be the first people to get this vaccine or the opportunity to take the vaccine? Yeah, so I am sort of isolated to my department as far as what information I get. Um, but I can say that it is prioritizing providers across the spectrum that are providing direct patient care. Mm -hmm. um, and then also bedside nurses that are um, providing direct patient care with bedside nurses. So I know that there's been approval going out to some of those departments. Now, again, um, with limitation and the amount of vaccines, we have to sort of prioritize the bedside nurses that are dealing with more vulnerable populations, right? So our nurses on postpartum who are taking care of pregnant and newborn babies, um, NICU nurses that are taking care of newborn babies, ICU nurses. Um, so I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm exactly sure how we're implementing this from phase to phase because I, I don't know those answers, um, but I do know that it has been um, the prioritization of staff and bedside staff in particular with direct patient care versus we have a lot of, um, obviously in the healthcare, 
healthcare system, MU employs a lot of employees. Not all of them are directly involved with patient care. So you said that there's a sign up, Jeannie. You signed up. When are you getting the vaccine? Yeah, Saturday. Wow. 45. I'll have to send you a picture. Yes, please do. I'm sure <laughs> we'll be happy to post it on our social media so our kids and listeners can see how do you feel to like to know that you're getting the vaccine on Saturday. Um okay, so I have I am I'm holding a couple feelings at the same time. Um one, I feel immensely excited that it feels like we're reaching a point where there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, I do feel, and I wish I knew who said it. I was listening to um, The Daily yesterday, and one of the physicians on there said this winter was going to be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I think that we we cannot underestimate the human toll that this has taken, not just in actual lives lost, but in lives affected. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm here to speak as, as a healthcare professional. So, you know, just from the healthcare professional standpoint, um, what we've seen and, and what we've experienced both from, you know, families, losing loved ones, families being alone when they're giving birth, only having their one support person. Now we've never had people giving birth totally alone. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of grief and we've also seen a 50% increase in uh, late term miscarriages, which is something that nationally, not, not just us, but nationally that's a phenomenon that I think is sort of a silent pandemic. And that there are a lot of those in lots of different areas of healthcare that we aren't even able to talk about necessarily because there's the obvious 300,000 people that we've lost. Um, so that's, you know, it's a long-winded bullet point number one. I'm really excited and hopeful um, that this means that we are turning a, we actually are turning a corner. Um, help actually is on the way and the science behind the efficacy on these vaccines is really way more impressive than I even imagined it would be. Um, and so I am so excited that I can say, here's something we can hold on to. Here's something that's coming. Vaccines have ended pandemics, you know, vaccines have, have worked and this will work um, if there's enough trust and distribution and use this will work to help us. So that's, that, that's point one. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that that's a really good question. I want to let you finish that the second thought of how it makes you feel, but how do we get people to trust the science and really accept this vaccine so that we can achieve immunity? Yeah, I think that, I think that's kind of um, point two. So point two is I feel uh, a bit of discomfort in my privilege right? Um, as a demographic, I am a white woman with few to no comorbidities. Um, if I uh, get COVID, I will do okay, most likely. Um, I wish in a lot of ways I could, I could give away my seat. Um, and I think there's 
there is distrust. I think we have um, a lot of distrust in healthcare in general, um, particularly among black and minority groups. Um, and there's a whole, that's a different conversation. I know you guys talk about it on this show, um, but that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation that deserves a lot of um, attention as well. So, so I feel uncomfortable in that privilege that I get to be first. Um, I think the other thing is we know um, nursing homes, nursing homes are super vulnerable and um, also need to be prioritized. And I am not familiar what the process is on how we're distributing and nursing homes in Columbia and uh, frontline workers in nursing homes. I don't know what that looks like, but I, I think that needs to be on the top of the list as well. Yeah, and as the Tribune reported that, you know, nursing homes will be the next to receive and they'll receive part of the second shipment and employees from Walgreens and CVS will be largely responsible for administering the vaccine to the long-term care facilities under a federal contract. And so, as we mentioned earlier, we're expected to receive uh, over 100,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine. But again, we still know that the, the demand right now far exceeds the supply, right? And there's this recognition that you get to be one of the first, but as you indicated rightfully, um, you are protecting your patients. Like you are getting the vaccine so that you, because you are exposed, don't spread it to other vulnerable populations. Um, we, we know that you know, in our community, we have truly essential workers and, and thank you to all the healthcare workers um, because they are taking, um, I think the vast brunt of the emotional toll that's happening from this pandemic. Um, and I, I don't think that that can be underappreciated by anybody in the community. So what are some of the factors that made you decide to get this vaccine? Um, and was it difficult for you at all when they offered it? Um, no, not difficult at all. In fact, I opened it up and scrolled and signed up for the first slot available. Um, I think actually I'd signed up for the second slot available because I was I was scheduled to be in clinic on the first slot. So, um, so not difficult at all. Um, factors that made me decide to get it when um, I have been following the research available about these vaccines and it has been really impressive and its efficacy and the studies that are available have been really um, impressive in their methodology. So that I think is, you know, exciting. And then also, you know, in, in vaccines, you always tell, I talk to parents about this, right? When um, we talk about vaccinating the mother to protect the baby, right? Um, I kind of think about this a little bit as a metaphor for what I'm doing right now. Um, kind of an active passive immunity, right? So I can actively get immune so I can passively um, protect a little bit in immunity to, to those folks. Um, so, so that's part of it. The other part of it is to build trust, right? So this vaccine, masks, masks and hand washing um, hasn't been working to control this in our, in our area. Um, unfortunately, I think we, we are aware of some of the reasons why that's not enough right now. Um, I think a big part of that is 
again, we have to remember that Boone County is a safety net um, for the state at large. And um, our healthcare facilities um, take care of that big wide um, area around us, whether or not those counties have mask ordinances, whether or not those counties are still having in seat classrooms for children, whether or not they are um, limiting capacities in their businesses. Um, and so we have in Missouri, a healthcare desert. Um, we have lots of healthcare deserts all around us and we have facilities sort of large ICU capacities kind of isolated to three areas of the state. So when I heard about COVID way back in the beginning, um, that was exactly the thing that I thought about that made me very scared. Um, that we have profound healthcare deserts around us. And I know only from taking care of my patients that they come from hours away um, from communities and cultures that are very different than Boone County. Um, and it takes a lot of conversation and trust building even to, you know, we take for granted on this, in this conversation between the two of us that um, we believe in COVID, that we know COVID is dangerous, that we know that something needs to happen, right? So um, anything that I can do to symbolically push forward the research, the evidence and the science. And I think, I think by me getting the vaccine, um, I can build that trust for my patients because if they trust me and they trust my decision-making, I think um, there's a huge opportunity for us to lead by example. Um, and so that's why it wasn't hard for me to decide at all um, that I will lead by example and jump on this uh, opportunity as fast as I can. And have you shared that you are planning to take it with you know, family and friends, maybe on social media? And I'm curious what their reactions have been. Well, you know, so I did post on social media as soon as I found out and I did uh, text a couple of my close friends to let them know. Um, mostly, and it, and it wasn't, it wasn't to say like, oh, ha, look at me, I'm, I have the opportunity to get this thing. So I guess that could have been interpreted that way. Um, but again, recognizing that there are folks who place a lot of their trust in, in my opinion, because they know that I try to stay up to date. I think, I think a lot in the way we, we feel about, I mean, you and I share the way we feel about uh, Dr. Allman and how I trust her. And when she's telling me something, I, I trust that she's done her homework. She has a, a record for being trustworthy in my mind. And um, I think there are people that feel that way about me. Um, I do have a good story about this because I was talking to a friend who lives uh, in Chicago, and she has a daughter who's four, and she said, um, when are the bad germs going to go away? I want to go see my friend or something like this, right? And she said, soon, soon, because I know a friend who's getting the medicine. The medicine's already here, and I know a friend that's getting the medicine. So um, that made me feel like that hope was a little bit contagious, that um, it's not I mean, it, it was exciting to me to be 
watching and listening to the news and hearing about, you know, Pfizer being pushed through for um, emergency, you know, to quick approval and, um, and then also kind of simultaneously getting the opportunity to sign up and being like, wow, I am, I am really lucky to be working in this facility and um, at MU and really proud of how quickly they're implementing this and rolling it out. So um, I don't remember what the original question was anymore, but I think it's in the conversation. Yeah. And so when you talk about trusting the science, you know, I've heard things like, well, can I get the virus from the vaccine? Or, you know, how does this virus work? What's in it? I saw a funny meme today that, you know, how many times have you asked what's in your hot dog, right? But but we need to trust this vaccine. So tell me a little bit about like, what do you know about the science of the vaccine and how it works? Because this is a new way to do a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Right, so there are a couple, there are a lot of different things that go into that, right? Again, I can think that speaks to kind of a public distrust of a process that was done quickly. I think that is the first thing I hear thematically from people is, how can we trust this when it was produced so quickly? Uh, we don't really like to think of warp speed in terms of science, right? That's anybody who's been a, a, a researcher or part of any kind of tedious scientific project knows that there's nothing warp speed about it. So that doesn't seem to reconcile quite with our, with our beliefs there. Um, and I think that's totally understandable. In fact, I, you know, kind of joked around with a lot of my patients that like, oh, I'm so excited to be part of phase one, but I'll be honest, I kind of like the idea of being part of phase three, right? So there's this kind of idea that like, you know, maybe we could just sit back and wait. But the, the truth of the matter is we can't sit back and wait. Um, so the reason why, you know, I think there's a couple reasons and we kind of look at the, again, kind of look at the specialists and hear what they're saying about this, why we're able to produce this so quickly. Um, you know, the first reason is we're in an emergency. We are in an emergency. Um, this is a, an existential public health crisis, um, economical crisis. And when you have something like that, you are throwing all of your resources, all of your best scientists, all of your, all of the money, right? Because we know also, because money is a thing in this world, um, there's a race. There's a race to be the one who creates this, this vaccine. Um, and so that is a huge motivator in expediting that process. From the science perspective, we are piggybacking on top of science that's already been created. So while this is a new virus, RNA is not new. The process of um, using RNA and having, um, having viruses that use, you know, having antivirals that use RNA, this isn't a new idea. So essentially you can, you know, you can take that recipe and then change your ingredient right? You've been cooking this recipe for a while. You just have a new ingredient now. So um, being able to build on top of already understood science has been able to expedite that process as well. And then another reason why this is going so quickly, and I think um, is really tragic, is that we have a lot of, we have a lot of participants, right? So um, one thing that if you have a phase three, oh, is phase three correct, where you're looking at case studies and you're looking at numbers. Um, when you have a pandemic number of patients with a diagnosis, 
you can observe that much more quickly, right? You can observe the efficacy of this virus much more quickly because unfortunately you just have a really huge um, subject volume. So the combination of those two things I think has really pushed us forward um, and made this much quicker. But I don't think much quicker at the sake of efficacy, much quicker at the sake of safety. Um, the same standards are applying to safety. While we all wanna get out of this nightmare of a pandemic, um, we are not trying to get out of it more quickly than is safe. Um, and and, reported. So we, as of Tuesday, we had 12,130 cases in Boone County with over 800 active cases. And currently we have 34 Boone County residents in um, hospitals right now. We had two deaths reported um, on Tuesday. So um, that brings our, our death toll to 40 um, Boone County residents. So as, as you talk about, you know, the, the true and real impact that COVID-19 has had on our community, um, 80 positive cases um, were reported on um, for today, so. Well, and, and while that number is awful, we have to remember that the number that's impacting our community and our healthcare system and our, our healthcare workers is vastly larger than that. Again, remembering that we're in a healthcare desert and that Boone County is not only affected by the numbers of Boone County, but the numbers of all those surrounding counties that are in our outreach uh, region. So we have to keep that in mind that, that that's awful, um, but even an underestimate of what we're experiencing within our healthcare systems and our community here. Yeah, um, as the Tribune reported, there's 138 um, cases of the virus currently hospitalized in the Boone County hospitals. And you mentioned, you know, we, M MU Healthcare and, and the healthcare systems within Boone County, you know, service a, a, a broad region because that we in Missouri have health um, deserts in, in a lot of places. You know, my dad lives down towards um, the Lake of the Ozarks in a remote area. And I stopped in Eldon, Missouri on my way down, which is in Miller County and, 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 and to a gas station. And I was looked at like I had a third eye because I was wearing a mask. And I was the only one in the gas, a very busy gas station on a, a weekend day. I was the only one in there with a mask. And so um, we have the vaccine, there's hope. What, what do you think are some of the next steps? What do we need to anticipate and worry about as we move through this? Oh, how much time do we have? How much? We have about four more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that is insufficient time to answer what we have left to worry about. Um, I would say, Two huge themes, uh, three, okay, three huge things. One, we have got to address, acknowledge, and understand that the most at-risk for high morbidity and mortality group um, with coronavirus, which is Black Americans, don't trust this vaccine, um, don't trust the idea of warp speed and have a lot of history and reasons why they don't. Um, a lot of history of healthcare systems being uh, dangerous for them, to them. Um, they are dying 
at rapidly disproportionate, disproportionate rates from this virus. Uh, those communities are being um, way more disproportionately affected. So who needs the, who needs the vaccine the most? They do. Um, will they trust our, um, our systems in this vaccine enough to get it? I hope so, um, but I think it's gonna take leaders. I think it's gonna take people um, being willing to go first. Again, that's a big part of what I think about. Um, I think being able to see people getting the vaccines themselves um, is one of the best ways to increase and promote that trust. Um, second big issue we're gonna struggle with is distribution and just uh, resources. Uh, distribution of resources. How are we gonna get it? How are we gonna get it out? Um, I hear what you're saying about CVS. Who's gonna get those folks to CVS? Who's gonna get um, our elderly patients who are immune compromised to CVS and what is the risk of getting them out to CVS? What do we see with that? We don't have immunity with the first dose. How dangerous it is, is it to get elderly folks out to a public space to get a first dose and then a second dose, right? So um, I love that we have options in a plan. I wish that that plan was that we had a health service that could go door to door and vaccinate people where they are. Um, that would be a hell of an undertaking, but I wish we could do that. Um, and then the third one is the political part of this, which is if you don't believe in a virus, you're not gonna take a vaccine for it. Um, and again, I think we take for granted that you and I having, are having this conversation, believing that this virus is real, understanding the human toll that it's having, um, that this is desperate. Um, there is a lot of distrust. I think that's gonna take time to heal. I think that's gonna take time to um, build. And hopefully the number of people that do get this vaccine are able to, to have an impact enough in herd immunity. But we know herd immunity from a community health perspective, herd immunity cannot truly happen until we have a, a vaccinated population. Um, because until we do, we still have the risk um, and so outreach, education, that's where we have to go from here. Um, taking the politics out of it and moving to the science of it, that's where we have to go from here. Um, and that's really hard in a moment like this. Um, the other thing that I, I tell people is, okay, well, what are, what are the side effects? We have no idea about the side effects. We can't tell you what the long-term side effects are and I can't tell you what they are. But we know that there's always the risk of the foregone alternative, right? So whether I can tell you exactly what will happen with a COVID vaccine, I can try. I, I really, you know, I think we have a lot of a lot of numbers and I can explain, you know, the, the potential for some headache, um, local soreness, um, that, you know, that original initial day. I can tell you what can happen with COVID. Um, I saw something online uh, about people being really concerned about Bell's palsy um, and the, some of the numbers in the study of folks having Bell's palsy, which is kind of a, a numbness of the face. Well, um, the numbers in that study were not higher than the general population numbers. So that's kind of one of those things where it's, unless you understand numbers, populations, the studies on that, then it's hard to tell you that. But um, well, Lori, I'm going to ask you final. Not enough time, not enough time. Yeah. It always flies by. <sighs> flies by, okay. Final thoughts, um, stay hopeful, stay diligent. Um, while we have a light at the end of the tunnel, the tunnel is still long. Um, 
immunity won't be achieved until weeks after the first dose. So we're still looking at even me so excited to be getting this vaccine this week. I will not be immune until the middle of or late January. So um, we have to continue to stay alert, stay diligent, hang in there, um, keep the faith, protect each other. And I'm gonna go first and I'll lead the way and I'll tell you how, how it goes. Maybe I should come back next week and tell you how it goes. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are welcome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor.